Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au If you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open up to Ephesians chapter 1. The, the title of our series for this next season is called Identity. And if you want to know what identity is all about, it's answering the question of who am I? Who am I? I've been getting a really hard time from some of my workmates who have been reminding me about how little I've been at Gateway Ormo in the last six weeks. Now, I thought I'd been here more than I have, but apparently I've only been here and preached once in June and July. Now, I promise I haven't been doing nothing. I've managed to get to three of our other campuses. I've been in COVID isolation and we've had a family holiday. So there's been some good reasons why I haven't been here, but I figure a great way to start the Identity Series is to actually tell you who I am. Because some of you here are new in the last six weeks or are new today and we're so glad that you're with us. Some of you have been here for a long time and just forgotten who I am. I woke up this morning and said to Chrissy, I've got to remember how to preach. It's been a little while since I've stood in front of the Ormo congregation and shared the word. So if someone asks you who you are, how do you answer that question? Usually we go to the details. I would say my name is Andrew Glenn Main. Glenn is my grandfather's name on my dad's side. I was born to Ron and Jan in Dubbo, New South Wales in 1979. Makes me 43 years of age for those that want to do the mathematics. I'm an only child. So yes, I'm spoilt, I'm treasured, and I'm the greatest sibling in the main family. I was born in Dubbo, New South Wales. Therefore, my state of origin is New South Wales. So why don't you just get it all out of your system right now? because those dirty, stinking Queenslanders did it again. And I can't say anything but you deserve to win. But I'm still upset about the whole situation, but that's all that we need to say about that. I moved out of Dubbo when I was 17. I went to one school, Dubbo Christian School, for my entire life. Moved to Brisbane to study a degree in information technology at QUT in the city. I've been here for 25 years, and after I finished my IT degree, I went on to study theology and have been in pastoral ministry at Gateway ever since, over 20 years now. Most people ask me what I do, and it depends on who the audience is as to how comfortable I feel sharing that. Because I'm not ashamed at all about my profession, but I find that in some social settings, it's not the easiest conversation point, and some people find it very awkward when they find out they're talking to a pastor. Apparently, they think that I'm going to start handing out tracts and trying to slay demons in them or something. I'm not sure why. But I had one awesome encounter with someone one day who I was, just knew they were going to ask me what I did, and I just already sensed that this guy probably wasn't that keen to know about my profession. And as I'm standing in a line with him waiting for some food, he said, so what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, really? That's awesome. And I thought, oh, that's not usually the reaction that I get. Thank you, Jesus, for not making this awkward. He goes, I've got plasterers all through my family. (laughs) To which point I had to say, not a plasterer, a pastor. The buffet looks good, doesn't it? I think was his next response. But that is what I do. That is my profession. That is what I spend my time doing. I'm married to Chrissy. We've been married for 20 and a half years. We have five uh, wonderful children most of the time until we decide to take them to a cafe Um, and then they become less than wonderful. I don't know why, but they're just 
Five beautiful, wonderful children. My son Eli made his guitaring debut in church this morning. So I don't know where he got his figure from because it certainly didn't come from me because I am just a bald, muscly, super fit, footballing superstar. Outside of that, they're just all the facts and details. I love my sport. Now I'm at the age where I love watching my sport. Um, I'm a bit of a card shark, a 500 champion uh, amongst my circle of friends for at least 10 years now. Uh, I enjoy my food and I enjoy my friends and I love being part of Gateway Ormo. That is who I am. How would you answer the question, who are you? You know, when we're asked to prove our identity and I work in a world where at times I get the privilege of standing with people as they make marriage vows to each other and doing other things where I have to sign off and prove someone's identity. And it's pretty much the same questions that I've just rolled through. What is our history? What is our origin? What is our family makeup? What is our age? Where were we born? Where do we now live? What gender are we? What do we do? What is our vocation? What's our educational history? And usually the final step of proving our identity is to provide some documentation that has an image of us on it. And once all of those things check and once all of those things marry together, we are confident in someone's identity. At 19 years of age, I went to Canada on my first overseas trip. I was a little bit nervous about it, but back then were the days when you used to travel overseas and get things called traveller's checks. Who remembers getting traveller's checks? We didn't have credit cards that you took. You, got, you went to the bank and said, I'm going to Canada, can you give me... $1,500 worth of traveller's checks. So I went and got those, got to Canada and went to cash my first traveller's check. So I actually had some Canadian money to use. And the guy said, no worries, give me the check. Took my check, processed it and then said, before I can give you the money, I need to prove your identity. Have you got a passport or a driver's licence? And I gave him both and he looked at it and he goes, nah. So what do you mean, nah? He goes, that's not you. That is me. Nah, you had hair? Don't have hair. I said, no. We had this argument for about 10 minutes that the person in the photo was actually the guy standing before him, but he had all my Canadian money on the other side of the window. Thankfully, I finally proved to him my identity. You know, we fill in documentation all of the time that answers those questions, but when we really think about it, they are the things that become important to most of us in how we tell people about who we are. Because they answer these questions, who is your tribe? How do we define uh, our sexuality? How educated are we? What job do we have? What defines our physical attributes? And these things often become the most important things in our life because they're the things that we find our identity in. They answer questions like this. Am I smart or not? Am I rich or not? Am I powerful or not? Am I known by others or not? Am I beautiful or not. See, the challenge with all of those things, though, is that there's only limited choice in many of them. If some of you here are just blessed and gifted academically. Who, just, who knows someone, because you'll never admit it, you're all humble, but who knows someone in their family that just rolls up to school, puts in minimum effort, and rolls home with, like, top marks? Anyone got someone in their family like that? Does it just disgust you? Because you worked hard, you did all the homework, you put in all the effort, you never skipped a class, and you never seemed to scale the same heights. You see, some of us have just been gifted by God with a mind and a capacity to inherit information and retain information and in the system that we live in to succeed academically. 
Others, not so lucky. And you've got limited choice over that. You can work harder, you can study harder, you can be dedicated, you can be disciplined, but it doesn't matter how much effort you put in, you may not ever reach the top percentile of those that are academic. Some of you uh, realise that you've got limited choice around the wealth that you have. You see, there's people that go, we'll just work harder, get more jobs, do more. And, and we know that's true, but there's some of you that have worked harder than those that have a whole lot more than you do. But still, you've been limited and the choice at times is not yours. You were going down a career path and then something happened in the workplace or something inflicted you physically and suddenly you don't have the same capacity that you used to have and it's affected your capacity to do what you now do. Some of us realise that we only have a limited choice in changing our looks. I've had many people over the years suggest Ashley and Martin to me, but I've decided that bald men are beautiful. Isn't that right? Can I hear an amen? Amen, Ben. Thank you. Just look at my father. What choice did I ever have? Although I grew about a foot and a half taller than him, so some things don't make any sense. But we've only got limited choice about how we can affect our physical appearance. I look at my son and he has the worst diet on planet Earth. I've just got to tell you that. Eli Main eats the worst diet on planet Earth and he looks like a greyhound. <laughs> I'm committed to my diet. <laughs> and I should move on. <laughs> See, the challenge is there's a lot of things that we put our hope in around our identity that we don't have a lot of choice over. That our choice is limited. You know, it's things that just make up who we are, but if we spend our life pursuing them and finding our hope and our happiness in them, many of us end up in a place where we feel inadequate. And we would make the statement, I am inadequate. Now, I know for all the people that are really well educated that inadequate is one word, but it doesn't fit on the message board. <laughs> but maybe you don't feel inadequate, maybe you just feel inferior. You see, one of the greatest things that's actually going to derail your life is if you spend it living in comparison to everybody else. Inadequacy and incompleteness can completely derail who we are because we can invest all of our time and energy in trying to be something that some of us have very little choice over. Maybe you just feel inferior or incomplete. Inadequacy, inferiority, incompleteness can rule us. And these things, if we actually allow them to be the main narrative in our life, can damage relationships. Some of us can become very caustic towards others because of our own sense of inadequacy. Some of us can invest huge time, money and focus in trying to fix the things that we wish were different. Our own sense of inadequacy or inferiority or completeness can lead us to making reckless and damaging decisions in our own life, in our relationships that can hurt not only ourselves, but those that we care for the most. And our own sense of inadequacy, inferiority, incompleteness can rip ourselves and others off from being able to experience us and the uniqueness that God has invested in us because we spend our whole life trying to be something that we're not or something that we've compared ourselves to or something that we've told ourselves, if I'm going to be somebody, I have to be like that. God will never compare you to anybody else. He will never compare you to anyone else. You know, the Bible invites us to find our identity in a completely different place. 
If you've got your Bible and you want to follow along, I'm going to read from Ephesians 1 from verse 3. It's going to be up on the screen. But the Apostle Paul writes this to a church in ancient Ephesus and he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now to give you a hint, I've highlighted the bits of the answer to today's question. Of what invitation do we have of where to find our identity? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included, say it, in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is, this is an incredible piece of writing from the Apostle Paul, filled with many superlatives and much praise and much adoration of God, but it makes a very, very powerful point and a very pertinent invitation for each of us. It actually invites us to find our identity not in the people that we hang out with or how physically beautiful or capable we are, not in what we do, not in how educated we are, not in our, uh, how we identify personally and physically, but it invites us to find our identity in something much greater, in Christ. You know what the crazy thing is? When most of us are asked who we are, one of the things that we put to the bottom of the list because we're scared of the reaction, is that I'm a follower of Jesus. And Paul says, actually, I want to elevate that to the most important place. Because the thing that matters more than anything is who you are in Christ. Because in Christ isn't just about your genetics. In Christ isn't about your ability or your capability. In Christ isn't about how hard you work or how hard you've worked or how lucky you've become or how poor or rich or smart or not smart or educated or not educated or powerful or powerless you are. In Christ is a whole new designation that gives you an identity and a purpose that is much greater and much deeper than anything that you can find anywhere else. And so Paul invites us to base and find our identity in this very, very powerful concept of being in Christ. He says it elsewhere in the book of Galatians. He says this, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one where in Christ Jesus. In other words, who you are and where you're from. Your wealth, your status, how much power you have, your gender, your sexuality, none of those things matter more than who we are in Christ. 
all those dividing barriers that we've created, all the things that we've compared ourselves against to others, all of the things that we've allowed to become not just the definition of who we are, but the pursuit of who we are, are now suddenly pointless and powerless in light of who we're invited to be in Christ. And so Paul says to the church in Ephesians, I want to invite you to find your identity in Christ. And in doing so, he makes some really powerful statements. And why don't we just do a little Bible study for a moment to unpack a few of these concepts. The first thing he says in verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul says this, you are blessed. In Christ, you are blessed. In other words, you are complete. God didn't forget stuff when he made you. God didn't leave stuff out when he made you. God didn't want you to spend your entire life trying to make up for your weaknesses. Years ago, there was some new thought in circles of leadership. They looked at organisations, they looked at companies, they looked at leaders, and they said so much of the research and the energy in years gone by is looking at people and helping them identify their weaknesses and then encouraging them to spend all their time in fixing their weaknesses so they become better leaders. But some people came out with a new school of thought that said this, why don't you spend more time focusing on the things that you do really well, your God-given strengths, capabilities, abilities, and talents, and rather than investing all your time in focusing on the things that you're no good at, why don't you give most of your time to actually flourishing in the things that you are good at? See, we spend a lot of our time focusing on the things that we are inadequate in, when I reckon God wants to say to us, I've actually given you some strengths and gifts and abilities that if you learn to harness them and flourish in them, I've made no mistake in you. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so rather than spending our time focusing on what we're no good at, why don't we actually start embracing the things that God's gifted us in and flourishing in those areas and finding our hope and our purpose in them? If you spend your whole life trying to be someone you're not or trying to be someone else or trying to mimic someone else's path or someone else's position, you'll spend your whole life feeling inadequate. But Paul says that Jesus has given us every spirit, or we've been given by the Father every spiritual blessing in Jesus. So you are blessed. You are complete. You are as God intended you. But secondly, he says this, you are chosen. In other words, you are adequate. One of the greatest barriers to some of us actually embracing faith in Jesus is we constantly feel like we're inadequate. And I think one of the greatest lies of the enemy is making us believe that we're inadequate. But Paul says this, you've been chosen. In other words, you are adequate. He chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You know what that says? Before you were even a twinkling in your mum and your dad's eye, God had his eye on you. His desire for you, his heart for you was that you would be with him, that you would know him. You know, I reckon people have spent a lot of time in this passage actually focusing on some of the wrong things and arguing theology when we've actually missed the gold of what it wants to tell us. And it's this, that God loves you so much that he desires nothing more for you to be part of his family. He's chosen you to be part of his family because he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. And he's like, the third thing he wants to say is this, you're invited to be part of his family. 
Paul says it like this, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Now, let me just stop here for a minute and focus on just the depth and the significance of those words. Paul wrote this to a church that was part of the ancient Roman world. And so when he writes these words, you've been adopted to sonship, we kind of just glance past them, move past them, and they sound like nice and fancy words, but what do they actually mean? If you go back to the original context, adoption was a very significant and powerful force that was at play in Roman culture. And Paul writes this with an understanding of the context and the culture of the listeners that would read it. You see, in the Roman culture, the power of the father was everything. And having an heir to your family really mattered. And the reason he says you've been adopted to sonship, we could change it because the heart of God is sonship, daughtership. But in the Roman world, for a father to appoint an heir that was a son culturally meant everything. And so if you didn't have a natural born heir to your family's inheritance and to your family's future and to the name of your family and to the location of your family. You could adopt a son into your family. But adoption was very different from the way that we might understand it. It was a very common occurrence for someone to, to adopt an heir to their family, to secure their family line. And the adoption ceremony, if you read about it in ancient culture, was done with incredible pomp and ceremony. It was done with a whole bunch of witnesses and a whole bunch of liturgy. And it was done because if anyone ever wanted to call into question the significance of that moment, there was a whole band of witnesses that could say, no, we were there in the moment where that adoption happened. It was a big deal. But, but what went with that adoption was even a bigger deal. If you were adopted into a Roman family, you took on absolute rights as the son. There was no question about who you were, where you came from. There was no question about whether you were seen as equal. You took on absolute rights as the son in the family. And you became a full heir to the inheritance of the family. In other words, you were written straight into the wheel as the one that would inherit the fortune and the future of that family. In a sense, as you were adopted into a family, your past was abolished. It was like you'd been born again. Some interesting language, isn't it? But you took on a new name, you took on a new identity, you took on a new family line, and anything that you carried from your past in that moment when you were adopted was left behind. Any debt that you accumulated, anything that you carried with you, it was a start over moment. But you know what's more significant? Is that once you were adopted into the family, you could never be disowned. There's suggestion that a Roman father could actually disown a natural born son. But once they'd adopted a son, that adopted child could never be disowned. Take that now to what we've just read in Ephesians. And Paul says this, you have been adopted into sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with what? His pleasure and his will. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't have a choice over that defines who we are. But God chose you. He chose you out of his pleasure and out of his will to be part of his family. And he says this, you have been adopted into God's family. You've been born again. 
You've started over. All that, that defined you or weighed you down, all the debt that you've accumulated, all the things from your past, you get a fresh start as part of God's family. You've been adopted and born again into his family. And now you have full rights as his kid. More than that, you become a full heir to the inheritance that the Father has. Your past is wiped clean, you've been born again, and you will never be disowned by the Father. This is a powerful statement Paul makes when he says that in love, he predestined you for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Don't ever lose sight of the power of that passage into your own testimony. God didn't have to. God wasn't obliged. God didn't have his arm twisted. It was his pleasure and his will that chose to invite you to be part of his family. And for those of us that choose to be part of God's family, we'll never be disowned. We have full rights of the inheritance. We carry the family name. And we carry the identity of Christ. So you were chosen. God chose you. God thought you were worthy enough to choose you in all your brokenness, in all your pain, in all your dumb decisions. He chose you no matter how smart you are or how not smart you are, how beautiful you are in the world's eyes or how plain you think your appearance is. He chose you not based on how wealthy you are or how poor you are or what job you carry and what job you can't keep down about how physically capable you are or how physically incapable you are. He chose you because he loved you and then he blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then finally, I'll get the band to come and join me. He says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him See, you're marked. You're marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You are marked. So you're chosen to be part of his family. And then as he invited you to his family, as you believed, he marked you with his Holy Spirit that is the deposit that he gives you guaranteeing your inheritance one day when he returns. God has filled you with himself. Now as we finish today, I want to give us a couple of ways that we can respond. I actually think there's some of us here today and we've been talking about this a little bit through the week and just to tell you and put it out there and we want to continue to find ways to minister to each other through prayer when we come together. It's one of the greatest gifts that God gives us, but there's something that holds many of us to our seats because it's like, there's like, there's there's always a vulnerability when we respond in prayer, isn't it? It's actually saying, well, God, I don't have it all together. You need your help. I reckon if we're all honest at times, we feel inadequate, we feel inferior, we feel incomplete. The problem is some of us carry that so strongly that we actually orientate our lives around trying to fix that stuff. When God wants to say to you today, I want to give you brand new eyes to see yourself the way I see you. And the way I see you isn't that your identity is in who, you, what you do or where you're from or how much you've got or how smart you are or how capable you are. Your identity is found simply in who you are in me. 
I just believe this morning that as we engage with this, some of us have spent our whole life trying to form our identity around something we have no control over when God just wants to invite us to a new place of finding our identity in something that He's already just given us and offered us. And so we love to minister to some people in prayer this morning to just carry that sense of inadequacy and inferiority, that incompleteness, that God would actually transform your understanding of yourself and your understanding of who He is and give you a brand new sense of who you are. Someone says, who are you? You can give them all the detail and all the information, but the thing that matters most is, but I found my place in Christ, where everything makes sense. Actually, there's a second response. And so in just a moment, I'm going to get us to all stand. We're going to sing and I invite you, if you'd love, just some people to stand with you and pray with you. I know it's a vulnerable moment to take that step forward, but allow God to minister to you in this place. So when you walk out those doors today, you walk out just on a new trajectory with just God having ministered something different into your life that might transform the way you see yourself, the way you do your family, the way you approach your workmates. See, when we find ourselves in Christ, all of the damaging behaviours that come through inadequacy and incompleteness and inferiority start to get transformed into new behaviours that start to embrace who God's created us to be and the strengths and the gifts that He's given us so we start to live out of that place. But secondly, the the passage that I've read ends by saying this, you're included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation. The message of truth is this, that there's a God in heaven that loves you so much that He sent His Son Jesus into this world to show you that He loved you. Ultimately, His show of love came through giving His life so that your past could be dealt with, so that your sins could be forgiven and so your future and your inheritance could be assured in Him. Jesus came, He lived and He proclaimed a brand new way of living, a brand new kingdom that we're invited to be part of, a kingdom that has no end, that will go on forever and ever. But Paul says this, you've heard the message of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed it, you're marked in Him with a seal. There is a moment for all of us There's a moment of salvation when we say, Jesus, I've heard the message and today I choose to make it my story. And maybe you're here today and you've never actually taken the step of inviting Jesus to become the Lord of your life. You know, you might call that becoming a Christian. You might call that putting your faith in Jesus. All of those things are true for me. I see it as a starting point where we make an acknowledgement that we want to choose to lean into the truth of Jesus for us. Because it says that when we believe, we're marked in Him with a seal. And so maybe today's your day that you choose for the first time to say yes to Jesus. And if that's you, as others come forward for prayer, why don't you come forward? When someone comes to pray for you, just say, I'm here because today's my day. Today's the day that I choose to say yes to Jesus for the first time. We'd love to pray with you. And as we do that, we're going to pray that what the Word says is true, that you would just be filled with the Holy Spirit, be marked with the Holy Spirit, that you carry with you as the deposit that guarantees your inheritance in the glory that is to come. Hey, why don't we stand together, church? If you like prayer this morning because the narrative of your life has always been around inadequacy and incompleteness and inferiority, God wants to transform that in you and give you a whole new outlook on who you are and who He is. Or maybe today's your day 
for the very first time to say yes to Jesus. As the band leads us in a song that just speaks so pertinently to what I've spoken about this morning, why don't you just move from where you are, come forward. If you're a, a life group leader here today, if you're in our leadership team, as people come, don't leave them standing here, come, stand with them and pray. We have no professional prayers in our church, so you might know someone that comes forward. Why don't you come stand with them, pray with them, lift them up before Jesus. But let's sing and why don't you move right now. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 